0: Welcome to episode 80 of the Blooms and Barnacles podcast, where we talk about everything related to James Joyce's Ulysses. I'm Kelly. And I'm Dermot. How are you doing tonight, Dermot? Very good. 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 I'm happy to be here recording with you again. And today we're going to talk more about Martha Clifford. You might have thought in our last episode we said everything to be said about Martha, but she's very interesting. So before we get to that, we've got a little bit of business. We are a blog as well as a podcast, and we have a new post up on the blog called The House of Keys. Do you remember what this blog post is about? (laughs) Tell me what you remember. It's okay if you don't.
1: Something to do with the advert. There's an advert with keys and the keys of heaven, and Uh there's a man called keys, and basically, Mr. Joyce is wrecking with our heads again.
0: That's actually a pretty decent explanation of it. Yeah, I go into the symbolism of the Alexander Keys tea, wine, and spirit merchant advertisement that Mr. Bloom is trying to get renewed in the newspaper. And Dermot did some great artwork for this post. If you'd like to see it, where could they go see it?
1: com.
0: And to entice them further, could you tell us a little bit about the image that you drew?
1: Yes, it's uh, St. Peter uh, at the gates of heaven with two keys very simple image
0: but it's it's like saint peter in the style of like mid-90s disney movies
1: yeah like if he had stepped out a little mermaid mm-hmm. a bit like ariel's father
0: yeah. yeah so uh disney and we know you're listening if you pay dermin enough money he'll make you a movie about saint peter
1: that's not how it works they send in the lawyers and they give us a <laughs> cease and desist <laughs> and then they steal the design.
0: Oh, no. Yeah. All right. Uh, If if you're a Disney lawyer, stop listening. Uh, Speaking of artwork, Dermot has also done some artwork for this podcast episode. So, again, Disney lawyers, please plug your ears while Dermot talks about this. Could you tell us about the artwork for our podcast episode tonight?
1: Yeah, it's Mr. Bloom standing under Cleary's clock, which uh, many Dubliners will know. Most Irish people will know is a famous uh, romantic meeting point. Many Dubliners will tell, tell you that that's where their parents met for the first time. Where will we where we'll meet? Under the Cleary's clock.
0: That's very nice. Well, if you'd like to see what Dermot's talking about, where could they go to see your artwork?
1: Again, com. All
0: right. We have a few shout outs. First of all, we want to thank all of our recurring donors this month. We really appreciate your donations. They help us. Figuratively, keep the lights on. And if someone would like to donate to our podcast, how can they do that?
1: Again, go to our site, bloomsabarnacles.com. On the upper right, there's the donate button.
0: Click that and give us your money, please. Mm. If you'd like to help us in a non monetary fashion, uh, leave us an Apple Podcast review. And if you do, we'll read it out on the show. So this week, we have a review from Mike in New York.
1: A wonderful accompaniment to reading James Joyce. Bloomsabarnacles podcast is such a pleasure. I'm heading towards a rereading of Ulysses, and I found the conversations and insights on this podcast to be both enlightening and truly inviting when it comes to tackling what can be such a challenging book. Kelly and Dermot are a wonderful team.
0: We certainly are. <laughs> Thank you, Mike in New York. We do appreciate we it. Do. Finally, if you'd like to keep up with us, you can sign up for our free monthly newsletter at our website. Thank you. Uh, we'll send it to you at the top of each month with a little recap and links to so that month's new podcast episodes and blog posts and any of Dermot's fine artwork that has come about. So go ahead and do that at our
1: website. Again, strong recommendation that you do it because it's really great. Um, It's like a little newspaper that you get. Mm -hmm. And if you lose track of the site, you get distracted, whatever, you won't ever miss any Mm -hmm. content.
0: And I always give a preview of the next month's upcoming podcast episodes and a semi-regular question of the month that, you know, to be fair, I also put up on our social media, but you get first dibs if if you subscribe to our newsletter. And this month's question was... Who do you think Bloom's pen pal Martha really is? And so we're going to share some of the answers now. I'd say the most popular answer, which I definitely poo-pooed in episode 79, is that Molly is Martha. Now, if you want to know why I don't think that is accurate, you have to go listen to episode 79. But a lot of you disagree with me, and that's fine. Um, You're entitled to your opinions. Um, We have a couple others here that I enjoyed. Listener Pat says,
1: "Blazes Boylan's wife, payback time.
0: (laughs) So I do like that one. (laughs) I don't know there's any textual evidence for that, but I do enjoy a bit of wild speculation, which brings us to the next one from listener Pinocchio.
1: Martha Clifford is actually English singer, songwriter and dancer Kate Bush. (laughs) Uh, Kate Bush actually wrote 1989's Ulysses-inspired song, The Sensual World, through her faculty of metempsychosis, tapping into her past life as Nora Barnacle, who died in 1951 and was reborn as Kate in 1958.
0: Now, this goes on for a while on our Facebook page. You can go find it there. Um, And it concludes, uh, because in our previous previous episode, I played a little bit of the Pina Colada song at the end. And... uh, a listener, Pinocchio, had a Kate Bush song with a similar theme that they preferred. So, I stand by my schlocky pop music choice, but thanks for your insight. I had a great time reading response. And this, I, to a certain degree, is the kind of response I always hope to get. It's very creative and unexpected, and I haven't seen it anywhere else, so it was a treat. Okay, let's get into our section today. It's a much shorter reading section that we've been tackling recently, but as I said, there's just so much to say about Martha. I would not have expected that going into this project, but there is so much to say about Martha. So if you're following along at home, we are in the Lotus Eaters episode, which is the fifth episode of Ulysses, and our reading selections today are from page 77 and 78 in my edition, the 1990 Vintage International Edition. And a warning to any listeners with sensitive ears or anyone forcing their children to listen to this, we are going to use a really crude word for women's genitalia in this episode, so it is not for gentle ears. But there will be nothing worse than anything you'd find elsewhere in Ulysses. So you have been warned. Before we jump into the text today, uh, I want to begin with a little story from Joyce's life. So story time, Dermot. A lot of people and events in Ulysses are inspired by real things from James Joyce's life. So, let's flash back to the year 1918. In this year, James Joyce himself carried on an affair, mainly through letters, with a woman named Marta Fleischmann while he was living in Zurich, Switzerland. He was married to Nora at this time, and Martha is spelled M-A-R-T-H-E, so you can see it's very similar to Martha. Mm-hmm. Unlike Bloom and Martha, Joyce and Martha did eventually meet, but there doesn't seem to have ever been any physical relationship between them. Now, Joyce had already written and published the sections of Ulysses that introduced Martha Clifford in the Little Review, before he met Martha, So I do think it's unlikely she was the initial inspiration for Martha. But because, like I said, Joyce so frequently based his characters and scenarios on his own lived experience, some commentators speculate that he had a penchant for engineering situations in his personal life so that he could then write about them more accurately. In, in her later years, his wife Nora Barnacle recounted that joyce james joyce james jim that he had asked her to cheat on him so that he could have the direct experience of being cuckolded like bloom so it's possible that while he was working on revisions that he sought out direct experience of a love letter based affair with a martha or marta and their affair came to an abrupt end when marta complained to her partner that joyce was propositioning her he then threatened Joyce with violence if, if the letters didn't stop, and Joyce cut off the affair. Perhaps this will be the off-screen outcome of Bloom's affair with Martha as well. We'll never know. Hmm. Any thoughts?
1: That's kind of fucked up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Pathological, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't have much more to add to, to it than that, yeah. So if yeah, I mean, you have
1: to admire the commitment to this craft, mm-hmm. like, you know...
0: Jesus. Do you, though? Like, I, I feel like there are, you know, Joyce is a great writer, but there are, are many great writers who just made things up.
1: It's like acting, though, like method acting. It's like mm-hmm. method writing. There's um, a famous anecdote about Laurence Olivier and Dustin Hoffman. I was and, trying to uh, remember which
0: actors it was, so go, yeah. go, go ahead. And
1: uh, Dustin was, it was one of the later movies when Olivier was very old and uh, Dustin was, like, going around the set getting himself physically exhausted and Olivier said to him, why don't you try acting, dear boy? It's so much easier. Yeah, instead of doing it for real, just pretend. Yeah. We're only actors. So yeah, some of the uh, method stuff is a bit TT, alright.
0: Yeah, so Joy- Joyce was doing some method authoring, I mm, suppose. Mm. But yeah, I mean, you can, you can also just make it up. Mm. Let's move forward and read that letter from Martha to Henry once more. And, and don't, don't be afraid to be a bit sensual like Kate Bush you don't have to read it like you, wish, Go for it, Dermot.
1: I'm with the helium. Dear Henry, I got your last letter to me, and thank you very much for it. I'm sorry you did not like my last letter. Why did you enclose the stamps? I'm awfully angry with you. I do wish I could punish you for that. I called you naughty boy because I do not like that other world. Please tell me, what is the real meaning of that word? Are you not happy in your home, you poor little naughty boy? I do wish I could do something for you. Please tell me what you think of poor me. I often think of the beautiful name you have, dear Henry. When will we meet? I think of you so often. You have no idea. I have never felt myself so much drawn to a man as you. I feel so bad about. Please write me a long letter and tell me more. Remember, if you do not, I will punish you. So now you know what I will do to you, you naughty boy. If you do not write. Oh, how I long to meet you, Henry dear. Do not deny my requests before my patients are exhausted. Then I will tell you all. Goodbye now, naughty darling. <laughs> I have such a bad headache today. And right by return to your longing, Martha. P.S. Do tell me what kind of perfume does your wife use? I want to know.
0: All right, bravo. Thank you. <laughs> Thoughts?
1: Didn't we read this before? We
0: did, but I'm just wondering if on a second pass you have different thoughts or... Um,
1: not particularly. Yeah, nothing different. Um, well, there's everything we spoke about the last time, like the misspellings and everything. Mm-hmm. But overall, the English is fine. Like, you know, she understands the language. Could be, you know, little mental flubs. A person could be writing in a hurry. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe she has a boyfriend and she's like... You know? And... Didn't want Charles to see me writing this piece of smut. Um, And then I think we spoke before, like, the thing about what kind of perfume does your wife use? Because she wants to wear the same perfume as Mm -hmm. Bloom's wife, so that if they do get physical, he won't be carrying home the smell of another woman. Mm -hmm. Scent of a woman, as Al Pacino would say. Ah! And then scream and roar and win an Oscar.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Well, let's talk about the tone of Martha's letter. Mm Mm-hmm. I find her tone to be a bit businesslike.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh She kind of gets straight to the point. I got your last letter to me, and thank you very much for it. I am sorry you did not like my last letter. Why did you enclose the stamps? Why did you enclose the stamps is not necessarily a line I'd expect to find in a love letter, but there you go. I would also say I don't find her to be overly saccharine or lovey. She focuses instead on some ambiguous transgression that Henry Flowers committed. I am awfully angry with you. You read this way better than me, by the way. I do wish I could punish you for that. I called you naughty boy, etc., etc., right? I do not like that other world. Please tell me what is the real meaning of that word. So she kind of moves quickly from being very businesslike to punitive. Mm -hmm. And her letter is fairly suggestive but it's not particularly lusty or passionate right her language is so direct it's very clear but it's not particularly evocative so you can tell she's hinting at you know some sexual things but Mm. it's it's you you wouldn't read it in penthouse Mm. i've never read a letter in penthouse i'm too young it's also sort of strangely polite and formal be- and I feel like she's betraying um, a certain amount of desperation for his affection. She's trying to be like, "Oh, I will punish you, you know, you naughty boy." But she's really, you know, wants something from him bad enough that she doesn't really like, you know, hold that that power very convincingly. She uses please a lot more than you might expect in a, a smutty letter. And yeah, you can kind of see some of this desperation here. I do wish I could do something for you. Please tell me what you think of poor me. I often think of your beautiful name. And that's kind of like a few lines separated from, I will punish you, you naughty little boy. Right? There's just some pretty dramatic shifts in tone. And she does kind of slide between, you know, being dominant, write me a long letter, tell me more, and if you do not, I will punish you. And then this more submissive tone of, Oh, how I long to meet you. Do not deny my request, right? So she's kind of all over the place.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: For Bloom, I don't think he cares about any of this. He doesn't care about the the bad grammar of spelling, the weird tonal shifts, the the odd formalities and the desperation. It's kind of enough for him that she just responded at all because it means she hasn't written him off entirely, right? And the paragraph just before this, he thinks...
1: A flower. I think it's a a yellow flower with flattened petals. Not annoyed then.
0: So he has reason to believe that she might have been annoyed. And earlier in in this episode as well, he thinks didn't go too far then. Mm. So we can reasonably assume that he was kind of pushing boundaries with her. And let's keep in mind the uh, technique of Lotus Eaters, as Joyce described it in his schema. It is narcissism. So... There's a lot of kind of self-gratification in this letter, right? Yes, it's coming from Martha, from another person, but Bloom is really less concerned with the quality of Martha's prose than with just sustaining her attention. Yeah, and most, this letter is inspiring self-gratification in Bloom, quite literally, because after this, he does make plans to masturbate in the Turkish bath in Lincoln Place. As you do. Though ultimately, he fails to do so. He doesn't really seem to care about how his actions affect Martha's emotions, because if she is betraying some desperation, it means he's really got her on the hook. Mm. He even did something gross, and she still came back for more. So, Martha, you deserve better, first of all. Don't hold out for Henry. You can do better. Uh, I know Martha's just a fictional character, but I, I feel for her. Yeah, so he doesn't really care about Martha's emotions. Uh, we'll talk about today, like, he doesn't really seem to have any attention... Uh, he doesn't have any intention of ever meeting her. She really wants to meet him. And also Bloom certainly doesn't care about the other patrons or the workers at the Turkish bath who may encounter the aftermath of his narcissistic emission, which again, thankfully he does not accomplish. As with many aspects of Bloom's love life, he is kind of spinning his tires here. Mm. So there's one particularly striking error that stands out. Could you re- read this line here? Okay.
1: I called you naughty boy because I do not like that other world. Please tell me, what is the real meaning of that word?
0: Right, do you have any thoughts about that?
1: Well, the other world is misspelled, other word. But it's a funny misspelling, too. You know, with Joyce, he's probably mucking around with us somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, so she doesn't like it, not the other word slash other world. So he said something To her, and I'm guessing it's like an anatomical word, or Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. it's
0: probably the word that we uh, (sighs) warned listeners about—the
1: c-word.
0: Well, don't spoil it for them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, our audience is a
1: dirty mind. They know where we're going with this.
0: We have used that word in previous podcasts because Mm -hmm. it has appeared in the text prior to this. Anyway,
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: as you very cleverly pointed out, we can easily assume that she meant word. Um, and although in some editions of Ulysses, some hapless editor has changed it to God. word, mm. which, you know, t- does, t- I think, take away some of the nuance of this. And yeah, Joyce never met a pun that he didn't love. So there's a lot of wordplay here. In, and by here, I mean the whole dang book.
1: You know, it's one reason why Orwell, who's a dying man, worked so hard on 1984. He didn't, he knew he had to proof the whole thing himself. When he would, he should have really been able to give it to somebody else, but he knew there were so many neologisms in the book. Some idiot is going to go in and wreck it, and then I'll be dead, and it'll be in print forever. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I can see why certainly something like this. Yeah,
0: yeah, so. that I think in in many of the early editions of Ulysses, which we talked about with guest Phil Holden, I think last year, twenty twenty, mm-hmm. sometime, but. A lot of the things that got quote unquote corrected in those early editions were things that Joyce intended. This Mm -hmm. is a prime example here. So we'll talk about both potential meanings here because something like this is clearly volitional. We can assume that any possible symbolism can be charged into this. So let's talk about this idea as the other world and then we will circle back to the other word. So let's talk about Martha's connection to the other world, which gives her presence in Ulysses a, a mythic or metaphysical quality. Is it the you know the mythical other world is kind of a place where like spirits or gods or someone like that would. We talked about in Proteus how you can access the the mythical Irish other world by breaking through the ninth wave out from shore. Mm-hmm. So it's that kind of thing, and this subtly links Martha to Stevens. Final showdown with his mother's ghost in Circe, this ghost who tells Stephen, I pray for you in my other world, right? So the other world is where all the ghosts and mm-hmm. angry spirits live. Martha desperately wants to meet Bloom in the material world. Oh, how I long to meet you, Henry, dear, do not deny my request before my patience are exhausted, but... Bloom slash Henry is perfectly happy keeping her tucked away in the other world, uh, in this case meaning in his personal fantasies. He doesn't want her to be a real person. He Mm. wants her to be an imaginary person. Bloom's relationship with a woman in the material world, Molly, is currently filling him with misery, and he's clearly confided this in Martha because she asks, are you not happy in your home, you poor little naughty boy? Uh, So perhaps a a fantasy woman is more appealing because she can be whatever Bloom wants her to be. And if he gets tired of her, he just doesn't respond to her letters. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of mean. Yeah. She stays in the other world. It's called ghosting for a reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, Martha's interest in Henry exists entirely in that ethereal other world. Um, Meeting in person would break the spell of their romance. Martha, however, does not like being kept in her box, and she makes this clear enough in her letter, but there's not much action she can take because she doesn't actually have his real name or his real address. So, if he did ghost her, that's kind of it. However, when Bloom enters the other world of Cersei, he is now on Martha's playing field, and that's where she can confront him. So, do you remember this? That We read this last week, too, but read it again.
1: Breach of Promise My real name is Peggy Griffin. He wrote to me that he was miserable. I'll tell my brother that Bective Rugger fall back on you, heartless flirt.
0: Right. So anything that happens in Circe is not necessarily of this world. Mm -hmm. Um, It's often seen as a hallucination or, you know, figments of the subconscious surfacing. And so I, I think this is a manifestation of Bloom's guilt, knowing that he's strung this young woman along and has no intention of consummating their affair or even of meeting her. He he won't take it as far as even Joyce did in the real world with uh, Marta because I don't think Bloom will ever meet her. Mm. It's, it's kind of sad. Mm. Mm. Uh, let's move on to the next paragraph.
1: He tore the flower gravely from its pinhole, smelt its almost no smell, and placed it in his heart pocket. Language of flowers. They like it because no one can hear. Or a poison bouquet to strike him down. Then, walking slowly forward, he read the letter again, murmuring here and there a word. Angry tulips with you, darling, manflower. Punish your cactus if you don't please. Poor forget-me-not. How I long violets to dear roses when me, soon anemone meet all naughty night stock. Wife Martha's perfume. Having read it all, he took it from the newspaper and put it back in his side pocket.
0: All right. Thoughts about that paragraph? Jesus.
1: Um. So... She's pinned this flower into the mm-hmm. letter, right? Mm-hmm. And he's yanking it out, trying to smell it, but it doesn't have much of a smell. Um, and said they like it. Because when he says language of flowers, they like it because no one can hear her. I assume he's talking about women in general. Um, or a poison bouquet to strike him down because women are treacherous creatures mm-hmm. as well. Walking so far, he read the letter again. Um remember. word. So then the rest is like a tumble of like blah, 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 blah. blah, blah. Um, so, having read it all, he took it from the newspaper. So, he's keeping the the flower, a little souvenir kind of thing, is he? Or, or the letter. He, he, the,
0: he, yeah, he's got it folded in his newspaper. Remember, okay. he. Yes, bought he's Freeman's hiding it journal. inside the Freeman's yeah, yeah, yeah. journal. Yes. So, if McCoy somehow rounded the corner again, he'd mm. see him reading a newspaper in an alley, which is also weird. Yeah. That's a weird thing to do. Yeah. But we'll just set that aside. All right. Uh, let's talk about that language of flowers. They like it because no one can hear. So, Bloom rereads Martha's letter to Henry Flower, and he begins to encode it into the language of flowers. Have you ever heard of this uh, Victorian language of flowers?
1: Um... Uh, vaguely that like a red means love and the yellow means like fil- familial affection and so on so on is that the kind of thing yeah it's not about?
0: just color though it's actually different types of flowers, of flowers have meanings yeah, okay um right despite henry and martha's somewhat libertinous correspondence they live in a very buttoned down and conservative era mm-hmm. it's technically edwardian i know it's not victorian but the language of flowers comes out of this very conservative Victorian era. That's when it was at its height of popularity. I think it probably would have been kind of passe by 1904, but okay. doesn't matter. Well, um, they
1: didn't have emojis yet, anyways. They so didn't
0: that. have emojis yet. It was truly a time of privation. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it was considered improper to speak openly about sexuality in this era. So feelings that couldn't be expressed openly perhaps because they were too risqué, or the writer was simply too shy, could be hidden in plain sight by using a code, in this case, the language of flowers. In this actually not-so-secret language of flowers, each bud and bloom is endowed with meaning. And it was very, very popular, and there were multiple popular floral dictionaries that could be used to decode these secret messages. So you'd write a letter to your sweetheart, and you might mention certain flowers, and then you could write a secret message to them. So that's kind of what Bloom is doing here in his own imagination. Joyce, for his part, didn't list a specific floral dictionary that he consulted for Bloom's parody of the language of flowers in the section. Uh, So the exact meanings are open to interpretation. I looked at a couple of different ones. They're both linked in the blog post version of this, but the breakdown I'm about to give you is based on an article by Jacqueline Eastman who referenced the 1860s Flora Symbolica. So all the interpretations are from there, but if you read a different book, you get a different interpretation. Hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, this isn't strict science. It's a s- symbolism. Flora Symbolica, symbolical flowers.
1: You want a little vagueness to it, too. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's yeah, just a lang- otherwise, it just becomes a language that becomes... Band.
0: It's too easy to uh, decode. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm going to ask you to reread that one long, weird sentence there.
1: Angry tulips with your darling man flower. Punish your cactus. If you don't please poor, forget me not how I long violets to dear roses. When we soon anemone meet all naughty night stalk wife Martha's
0: perfume. All right, And I promise Dermot didn't just uh, slip into some kind of weird aphasia there. That is as it's written on the page. Transforming Martha's letter into the language of flowers allows Bloom to obscure the meaning. Yes, but it also allows him to project his own deeper symbolic meaning into her word choices. Because the only one that's going to see this language of flowers is Bloom, and also like all the people who read Ulysses. But he doesn't know about that, so it doesn't matter. Hmm. All right, let's take a look at this. Angry tulips with you. Tulips symbolize a declaration of love. Though... Here, they are paired with anger. They're angry tulips. And since tulips is pluralized, it could be a pun on two lips. Where on your body might you find two lips? On your mouth, your face. Yes. Yes. Right, it could be referring either to Martha's mouth or <gasps> in my mind, the more likely two lips are the lips of her lady parts yes we'll just call it a vagina (laughs) Um, her furry front bottom no Uh, and this is because lotus eater's correspondent organ is the genitals Mm. so an angry vagina would align with whatever sexual punishment Bloom might be fantasizing about here Mm. because I think he kind of likes the idea of being punished like a naughty little boy Darling, manflower, punish your cactus if you don't. Um, and I've included here in our notes that I'm that we're working from an image of the naked man lotus, or no, I'm sorry, the naked man orchid. Now, this flower, could you describe it for us, Dermot?
1: It's obscene. Yeah, it's no, it's very funny. I, I really, listener, um, go to Google. And or to, go, and, go to bloomsandbronicles.com. It
0: will be in the show notes. And
1: But if you can't find it, I guess i image search Naked Man Orchid.
0: Naked Man Orchid. Good
1: God. It's very funny. Yeah. Descri-
0: yeah. Describe it.
1: It's like a little pink man with uh, his legs apart and a little willy between the legs. It has eyes too. Two little eyes <laughs> and a bonnet of some kind.
0: Yeah. yeah so that, that's the rest of the orchid. Yeah. It really looks like a little naked dude hanging out. It does. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There's two of them. They're friends.
0: With uh, diff- differing degrees of willy.
1: Yeah, one is a corkscrew. Yeah.
0: Hmm. All right. I just I just put that in there because darling manflower, uh, when I read that, this is what I thought of. Um, so, uh, unsurprisingly, our book Flora Symbolica from the 1860s does not mention a, quote, manflower. Um, however, the final line of lotus eaters is Bloom describing his plants flaccid penis in the bath as a, quote, limp, floating flower. So we can guess Joyce's meaning when he says darling man flower. It's his penis. Again, genitals, correspondent organ. I'm not just being gross. Man flower can also symbolize Bloom in his totality as he is a feminine man in many ways or a, quote, new womanly man as he's described in Circe. So Bloom is the man flower. And he's also a man named Bloom. Or Henry Flower is a man who's a flower. Mm. I, I, I think we've got the point. Cactus. Cactus also didn't make it into the floral dictionaries, uh, but I think it can be interpreted as a pricklier phallic symbol as well. Um, there's a Molly connection here, uh, as she recalls there being cactuses in Gibraltar where she grew up as a young girl. Interestingly, this line was originally punish your lianas and then was changed to cactus. Uh, A liana is a type of woody vine, um, which is suitably phallic, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But the lianas moved from this section to that opening page of Lotus Eaters, and the cactus now appears twice. So you remember Blim's sort of orientalist description of the Far East? Mm -hmm. Read this little snippet here from that.
1: The Far East, lovely spot it must be. The garden of the world, big lazy leaves to float about on, cactuses, flowery meads, snaky lianas, they call them.
0: So we see cactuses and lianas side by side. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, they're they're meant to be phallic. And I, I feel like garden of the world sounds kind of vaginal in a way. So they're all snaking around together there in the mm-hmm. far east. Everybody's getting wild out there. Eastman points out the similarity of cactus with the Latin phrase coactus volui, which is a phrase that appears in Circe, so she's not pulling it out of nowhere, and in English it means, having been compelled, I was willing. Hmm. So, while it certainly doesn't hold to 21st century ideas of consent, it certainly reinforces Bloom's plan to continue using aggressively sexual language in his letters. Right, which we'll get to in a moment. If Martha is such a shrinking violet, he'll need to convince her that she wants his sexual attention. Likely just in letters, but it's still crossing a line, I'd say. I think Bloom might carry some guilt since, again, their exchange started as a job posting. And he needs to feel like she's totally on board so that he can prove to himself that he isn't being a complete creep, but he is being a complete creep.
1: Yeah, it's like a bit of bodice ripping going on there.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Next little bit says, please, poor forget-me-not. So Bloom knows Martha is worried that he's losing interest since he hasn't agreed to meet her in person yet. Uh, her desperation, her non-flowerized letter shows in that section you know, forget me not. It's pretty straightforward. Well,
1: look, he's so scared of even reading her letters in public. How will he ever meet her in person?
0: He, do, I don't think he intends to. How could he? Like if, if she doesn't that, know that. If
1: he's that afraid, like imagine taking the leap of standing under Cleary's clock.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: and 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 standing there with everyone knowing.
0: That's what. He's and doing. then it's just a time traveling Kate Bush that shows up. Yeah. Which Henry Flower, Kate Bush, their last names are both plans. <laughs> QED. QED. How I long violets to dear roses. Violets symbolize modesty, hence a shrinking violet. Perhaps Bloom is reflecting on Martha's apparent naivete, possibly around that word. Roses symbolize love. So, Bloom recognizes the danger hidden in a thorny rose bush. He says in a a subsequent paragraph, no rose without thorns. Um, Pain coexists alongside sexual pleasure in bloom's mind as we've explored in the past um bloom references roses once more while reflecting on martha thinking and again this i don't think we'll discuss this paragraph tonight but this is like three paragraphs on uh such a bad headache has her roses probably what do you think has her roses mean here i have no idea That's fine because her roses is a a Joysian coinage for menstruation. And so Bloom thinks that that's what's to blame for Martha's suffering. Hmm. Um, There's no proof of this, but he kind of just decides that's what it is. But, you know, maybe he is convinced that if pain and sex commingle for him, it's the same for women. When we soon anemone meet, the anemone symbolizes withered hopes. So Bloom knows he will never meet Martha as much as she might want him to. And the last little bit here. All naughty night stock wife Martha's perfume. And it's wife Martha's perfume. They're kind of... You're right, they're merging perfumes. Uh, night stock. Uh, another one that didn't make the dictionaries. Uh, it seems to be a pun on night stock. S-T-O-C-K. Which... Joyce indicated in some of his notes, meant to him anyway, a woman. So here we see the real danger inherent in Bloom's dalliance with Martha, which is, what if Molly finds out? What if Molly finds out, Dermot?
1: Well, she's got no leg to stand on. She's seeing blazes for music lessons.
0: Mm -hmm. They should have
1: an open relationship at this point.
0: Did they do open relationships in
1: 1904? I don't know. In France, anyway, probably (laughs) Maybe. I don't
0: know. We read all about all the, the people sleeping together and seems Stephen's re- recollections of, of Paris. All right. Mm. Uh, there is really no especially compelling reason that Bloom would choose this point in the narrative to retrieve Martha's letter, other than he has an hour to kill before the funeral. Um, narratively speaking, the introduction of Martha's letter might seem a bit pointless, defying the maxim of Chekhov's gun. Which, what's what's Chekhov's gun?
1: Yeah, if you see a gun in the early part of a play, it's going to be fired by the third act or whatever.
0: Right, so he gets this letter, Mm -hmm. you know, from a woman who's not his wife. So what would that imply?
1: It's going to have a physical encounter with her.
0: Or that Molly will find it. Find it, it and all hell will break loose. But uh, though this loaded weapon, a clear path to revenge Mm -hmm. against an unfaithful spouse, Molly, because he kind of knows what's going on there presents itself to Bloom, uh, he kind of never pulls the trigger on it, right? Because, right. like you said, he could be like, ha-ha, I'm also corresponding with someone with a bold hand. She's, you know, she's a typist, so I guess not. But, you know, he could use this as revenge against Molly, mm-hmm. right? He could say, you have no leg to stand on. You know, or he, she could find it by accident, and there's a big kerfuffle. But the knowledge that he could detonate this bomb or fire this weapon, not to belabor the metaphor too much. This allows him to sort of grasp for power and reclaim his masculinity um, when he's feeling cuckolded. Uh, He even leaves Martha's address in an unlocked drawer where Molly could easily find it if she were to snoop. Bloom's has a confrontational purpose, but maybe he hopes that if he's found out, he can finally exercise all those terrible feelings he's been penning up inside. You know, if she starts it, then he can let loose. Mm-hmm. Um, he may be hoping to force Molly's hand to talk about Mrs. You know Marion Bloom, that whole thing. And uh, Martha is a sort of bullet left in the chamber, just in case, to, to force it out of Molly. I don't know. We never really find out, though. Because mm-hmm. he, uh, you know, he, as we'll see, he tears up her letter, lets it fly... He preserves her address in a a desk drawer at home in his uh, convoluted code that we talked about last time. You know? It's not that hard of a code. All right. Anyway. Any thoughts on that? No, no. Yeah. It's good. Last paragraph.
1: Weak joy opened his lips. Changed since the first letter. Wondered that she wrote it herself. Doing the indignant. A girl of good family like me. Respectable character. Could meet one Sunday after the rosary. Thank you. Not having any. Usual love scrimmage. Then running round corners. Bad as a row with Molly. Cigar as a cooling effect. Narcotic. Go further next time. Naughty boy. Punish. Afraid of words. Of course. Brutal. Why not? Try it anyhow. Bit at a time.
0: That's it? Mm. What do you think?
1: So he's planning the next letter. And he's gonna ramp it up a bit.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and then he's like, you know, doing the good girl act. Basically, she's just pretending. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and. Uh,
0: Could meet one Sunday after the rosary. Yeah, after
1: mass. And then he's back on cigars and narcotics and more lotuses. There's your Lotus is nice. Mm-hmm. That
0: cigar line, I didn't put in the notes, so I want to mention it here. It makes me think of that. I think it was Freud that said it sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Right. Because we just read about all these flowers that yes. are not really flowers. Yeah. A lot of penises and vaginas and all <laughs> those flowers. Um, cigar has a cooling effect, narcotic, mm. you know. So is a cigar just a cigar? In this case? Yeah. No. Yeah, I agree. Go further next time, right? He got away with it. He, She, she let him push her boundaries, I think, in a way maybe she wasn't comfortable with, mm-hmm. which will... Explore a bit in this section. Mm. You have any other thoughts? I'm mm. kind of interrupting it. In no, 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 no. Alright, this line here, wonder did she wrote it herself. So you notice when he's thinking about it, he inserts a little grammatical error there that mm. also appeared in her letter. So some commentators believe that Martha's letter is a pastiche of letters that Nora Barnacle wrote to James Joyce, as Nora's grammar was far from perfect. So there's also a clue in Bloom's teasing, wonder, did she wrote it herself? So I guess the story goes that Joyce once received a very uncharacteristically poetic letter from Nora, and when he pressed her about it, she revealed that she had copied it from a book, which I actually think is kind of sweet. Yeah. There's no Google in those days, so he couldn't just uh, look -hmm. it up. Joyce's best-known letters are the erotic letters that he wrote to Nora. They have been read in dramatic fashion by many professionals on the internet. And they sort of range from mild flogging to a, oh, a cornucopia of scatological horrors.
1: Yep, they're pretty bad.
0: They're, they're wild. Um, Martha's kittenish threats to punish Bloom for his alleged transgressions recall, to my mind tone and cadence of Joyce's milder letters to Nora. And you know, in the real world we only have Joyce's letters preserved. There are no copies of Martha's, and in Ulysses it's flipped, we have Martha's letter, but we don't see Bloom's letter. So we can only guess. I do think that Bloom's penchant for dirty letters likely arose from the author's own letter writing. They're pretty wild, as we've we've said already. I um I I took I, I read a bunch of them on stage a few years ago at this spoken word night that I found kind of, kind of a little too uptight <laughs> in mm-hmm. the city I used to live in before where I live now. I'm not going to say where because I think you could figure it out really easily. But, uh, I yeah, I, I enjoyed that. It was And
1: you trained for hours reading them from, with your friends. I read so them you...
0: over and over to my roommate until I didn't laugh. The only one, there's one line that I could not get through without laughing, which is that I think he wrote to Nora, I could pick your fart out of a room full of farting women. (laughs) 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 Which that's that's true love. That's true love right there. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's good. So assuming that Martha's responses are enthusiastically consensual. So we talked last time where there's some gray area there. We don't actually know what her motivation is. Um, but let's assume that she's really into these weird letters that Bloom is sending her. She, she could be into it. We don't really know. Um, she could be purposely littering her letters with errors as part of a, a kinky power play. This, this is my own theory here. Perhaps they are the punishment that she's threatening as they mar the clean, clear copy that a, quote, gentleman in literary work might require from a smart lady typist, right? And that's her way of punishing this naughty boy. She thinks he's this, like, super uptight, like, starch collar, works in an office, and she's like, ho, 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 you, I, you know, I'm going to do this subtle little bratty thing uh, just to get at you a little bit.
1: That baker's apostrophe will really get him going.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, maybe, like, Martha's actually an amazing typist, Mm -hmm. but she's just, like into kinky sex games at the same time. I think too many, often but not always, male commentators assume that Martha has failed as a typist because she is inferior in some way, too little education, too low class, so I'm submitting my own Martha theory. I submit that Martha may instead be very skilled at writing provocative letters, uh, which is an interest shared by her creator. She can provoke Henry with her errors and get his attention, which she clearly desires. Has he threatened her with erotic punishment in his letters as well? Within the confines of Ulysses, it's never revealed. He may have tried his hand at this approach in earlier letters as a way to play the role of a dominant masculine man. Oh, Martha, if you don't get the present perfect tense just right, I'll, you know, I'll spank you till you're, you you get it. Um, so, and this, this is a way to play this other role and in contrast to his true identity as a, a cuckold, right? Mm. Um, but based on his, uh, hallucinations in Cersei, I suspect Bloom would still rather be the floggy than the flogger, uh, as feminine Leo loves to be spanked, but ha- <laughs> masculine Henry does the spanking. Martha's identity as an eager Kingster is just my own idea, but there may be other hints to her character in her letters. Um, we've discussed previously that this may be a clue that Martha is not a native English speaker. Um, Joyce worked for years in continental Europe as an English as a second language teacher, so it seems possible that he could have been inspired by the writing of his students during those years to plant some peculiar errors, errors in Martha's letter, And I think we we discussed in a previous episode that he had a bit of an affair with one of his students named Amalia Popper, and he wrote a novella that was published after his death called Giacomo Joyce, about someone who pretty much fits his description, falling in love with a a dark-haired Mediterranean woman that is thought to be about her, Mm. so... You know, that, that it could be an homage to that. I have no proof for that either. These are just my own thoughts. Any thoughts on my thoughts? No, it sounds good. All right. Uh, so Mar- uh, Bloom recalls, go further next time. Naughty boy, punish, afraid of words, of course. Brutal, why not? Try it anyhow, a bit at a time. So we talked about what is that other world. Let's talk about what is that other word. Mm-hmm. Um, It has to be a word that Martha doesn't recognize as she politely demands... I like when you read this.
1: I called you a naughty boy because I do not like that other world. Please tell me, what is the real meaning of that word?
0: So either Martha doesn't know this word due to her own naivete or due to a lack of familiarity with vulgarities or slang if she's a second language English speaker. Mm -hmm. Um, In either case... We do have some proof that this is probably Bloom's routine with women, because in Penelope, the 18th episode, Molly notes that Bloom tried the same trick out on her.
1: Then you wrote me that letter with all those words in it. How could he have the face to any woman after his company manners making it so awkward after when we met, asking me, have I offended you?
0: Yeah, so he he, did, he clearly did the same thing, mm. right? bloom uses crude language to push boundaries and sees where it takes him hmm. molly let it slide she married the guy martha seems to have been offended as well but comes back from more nonetheless maybe her offense is an act maybe maybe not but honestly it's not uncommon for someone to allow their boundaries to be pushed beyond their limit if they want something enough from the offender and in this case Attention, maybe a job, maybe she's still holding out to be his smart lady typist. Mm-hmm. Either way, I, it's kind of a bummer. So what is the offending word? John Gordon wrote that he believes it is the word cunt. I won't, I won't make you say that word. As a woman, I will say it. It's a word that sounds really harsh by today's standards as well. Gordon's hypothesis is based on some more of Molly's commentary in Penelope.
1: If I knew what it meant, of course I had to say no for form's sake. Don't understand you, I said. And wasn't it natural? So it's of course it used to be written up with a picture of a woman's on that wall in Gibraltar with that word I couldn't find anywhere.
0: So you get what she's saying here?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it could be vagina, though. It could be using an anatomical word. Mm-hmm. Because written up with a picture... Or, or could somebody have done, like, graffiti with yeah, it, on that, a woman, do we think? Like, yeah. Okay, it's not somebody like a medical doctor's like a dirty office. dirty picture. Okay, and so then she's wrote. talking about not like a. I I was thinking of maybe it's a medical office with, like, you know, illustrations up or something. But, right, if it's if it's graffiti, then it's... It,
0: it could be either one because yeah. it doesn't really say. And also, if it was written by... Well, I guess there are a lot of English people in Gibraltar, right? Yeah. So thought, well, if was, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If it was yeah. Gibraltar, wouldn't it be in Spanish? But there are a lot mm. of English soldiers there, so... yeah. Molly, woman of the world though she may be, pretended not to know the word for propriety's sake. Mm. So it has to be pretty bad. Mm -hmm. Martha's feigned ignorance, if it is indeed feigned, may be part of that same dance. Mm. Or she just doesn't know the word because it's just, if you're, you're learning a second language, that might not be the first word that you learn. Gordon finds the evidence for cunt being the other word in this passage. Um, noting Molly's memory of, quote, a picture of a woman's on that wall, coupled with the word couldn't, which is an anagram of old cunt. Hmm. And Joyce loved anagrams as much as he loved puns and um, sexy farts. So that's possible. Bloom's tactic seems to have worked in Molly's case or at the very least didn't scare her off. She married him and bore his children. Um, You know... Molly's an adventurous girl, though. She's, she's got the, the blood of the South in her, or whatever mm-hmm. Bloom s- s- says. Uh, Martha also responded to his letter despite his crude language. And Bloom kind of takes this as an invitation for escalation, thinking, you know, doing the indignant, a girl of good family like me, respectable characters. So you know, like Molly, she has to pretend like she doesn't know what it means. Mm-hmm. Could meet one Sunday after the Rosary, so that that thought will carry over into an upcoming scene when he's in the church. Oh, thank you! Not having any usual love scrimmage, right? She's playing hard to get. Mm. She's playing the good girl, um, but then he goes from there to go further next time. Naughty boy, punish. Afraid of words, of course. Brutal, why not? Try it anyhow, a bit at a time. That's like a oh, hot bloom. That's that's gross. <laughs> But I mean, he's not
1: going to end up in the friend zone. Not,
0: sure. He's not going to end up. No, no, he's uh, very forthright yeah. with his filth. Yeah. All right. Do you have any closing thoughts on this? No, no,
1: it seems it seems good.
0: Yeah. Do you think Do you think this would be an effective way to woo a woman?
1: I think for some, yeah. Yeah. I've seen terrible things work. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not by me.
0: You're very genteel. Don't I am.
1: You? That's that's why it balsa. <laughs> <laughs> Not much of a history compared to some people who I've seen like people pull this kind of crap and it works, and it's, you just you just sit back and you go oh, the human race is doomed. We are all doomed. It's TikTok.
0: There, there can be some fun to a a you know a bit of body back and forth.
1: Banter's fine, but no, I've I've seen people pull like the worst pickup artist tricks, mm. and I've seen them work, and and you just go God.
0: What's the, what's the worst pickup line you've ever heard used or um, used yourself? I don't I don't hang
1: out to hear pickup words. I did ask a woman once, "Have you read Tragedy and Hope by Carol Quigley?" <laughs> and it, that worked. So, um, yeah. Uh We should have but that's a different story.
0: I used to work at a a tourist attraction in Chicago as a summer job many, many, many years ago. And uh, I was doing my, my work, and one there's a water taxi stand next to where I worked, and I heard one of the water taxi drivers, he's going, I keep saying your name, and you don't answer me. I said, oh, I'm sorry, do you have a question? He's like, yeah, I keep saying, Foxy, Foxy, and you're not answering. And I said, that's not my name. <laughs> <laughs> I was so angry at him was so gross and we we're, were at work like what what do you think was gonna happen quite mm. i mean i'm from the midwest so a lot of dudes will just yell at you from pickup trucks yeah so really i ever asked around asking mm-hmm. a male friend like why do you men do that like what what is their end game and and mm-hmm. he said i think they hope you'll get in the truck <laughs> <laughs> to which shock horror was my only response yeah. so i don't know Taste their own, I guess. Mm. But also, I don't like when people yell at me from a uh, moving pickup. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> um. Anyway, that's all I've got for this week. Mm. So that—that's my closing thought. Don't yell at women from moving pickup trucks. Yeah. <laughs> Which. <laughs> all right. On that note, we'll see you in two weeks. See you then. Bye. Bye.
1: Basket of impatience at your door. Rock my two lips for your two lips. But the bulb don't burn anymore. Ain't it changed how much rain we got? The and showers plot out the sun. So much dear that your roots did. And wait
0: Thanks for listening to the Blooms and Barnacles podcast. Your support means the world to us. You can subscribe to Blooms and Barnacles on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other place you listen to podcasts. You can also stream our episodes at our website, bloomsandbarnacles.com. That's bloomsandbarnacles.com. If you've enjoyed our podcast, you can do one of three things to help support us. Number one, please donate at bloomsandbarnacles.com. The PayPal donate button is at the upper right-hand corner of the page. This helps us pay for coffee and for hosting fees. Two, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice. This helps more people find our show. And Three, share us with a friend who you think would enjoy Blooms and Barnacles. Blooms and Barnacles is also a blog. We post new articles and original artwork semi-regularly at bloomsandbarnacles.com. Never miss an update by following us on social media. Search for our group Blooms and Barnacles podcast on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at BarnacleCast. You can also send us an email at bloomsandbarnacles at gmail.com. That's blooms, barnacles at gmail.com. We met some of our favorite podcast friends through random emails and social media DMs. We'd love to hear from you too, so don't be afraid to shoot us a message anytime. We'll be back in your feed in two weeks. Bye for now.